Amen. Praise the Lord for our Savior. It's the name before every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And so uh, it's a whole lot better when we decide to bow and confess before we get there, before we have to do it because we want to. And uh, praise the Lord for a, a risen Savior that loves us and cares for us. As we continue this morning, we have been, since the beginning of the year, really focusing our attention on the idea and the concept of what a true disciple is, what a biblical disciple is. In February of most, almost every year, we basically dedicate the month to, uh, to stewardship. And so I, what I want to do this morning is just look at uh, the fact that you cannot be a disciple and not be a good steward. They're, the two go hand in hand. And truly, uh, a real disciple is someone whose life is balanced, someone whose life Jesus is a part of every aspect of it. I cannot check Jesus at the door when I go to work. I can't check him at the door when I go home. I can't check him at the door uh, when I go out in public somewhere or uh, go to a ball game. If I, Wherever I go, the Holy Spirit goes with me. If I know Jesus Christ is my Savior, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence, residence in my heart. Uh, and everywhere that I go and everything that I do, He is with me. Uh, the question then becomes, am I going to be his disciple? Uh, there's a difference between being a believer and being a disciple. Many people believed in Jesus, but few of them followed him. And really, only 12 followed him at length. And of course, one of those was a traitor. And then uh, the Apostle Paul was brought up by the Lord to uh, kind of fill in that space and to give us much of our New Testament Becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ is much more, as I've stated, than being a believer. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, as we looked at last week, shows us that, uh, that a minister is a servant. We understand that concept, but we looked at it as being much more than that uh, last week. When we looked at the fact that the word used for minister there literally means an under rower uh, or someone that have been in an old Roman galleon, that was Paul's model, uh, as those that would have been enslaved to row their warships, uh, there would have been a slave master and behind them beating them if they did if they fell behind the pace and there was someone up uh, that would strike the drum to give the order as to what the pace was and what the movement was uh, of the ship as they went either uh, at a casual pace or whether they went were going into battle and so Paul under attack basically makes the case that he is not. Uh, the, the slave master or the taskmaster, and he is not the pace setter. Uh, God is the pace setter, and God is not uh, one that is driving us mercilessly. He is one that is leading us uh, at the pace that he needs us to come along. Paul said, I'm an under rower. He says, listen, I'm just one of you. I'm, I'm here, I have my oar, and I am rowing with all my might and endeavoring to be in at peace and harmony and in, in fellowship with all of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, even though he was their leader, uh, and to row in harmony with you. And the whole church should be pulling together. And so he lays out here, I am a minister of Christ. I am working, I'm laboring, I am rowing with you that we might all do this uh, together. And then he said, it is moreover, it is found in a man uh, that a, a steward must be found faithful. And so we examined these terms last week. That a steward, and I'm going to just really give just a, a brief, uh, concise definition here, just as a reminder this morning. Uh, what I gave you last week was much more in depth, but we stated that a steward was being one who manages the affairs of his master's household. And so, when we have to understand that we are not our own, as our text tells us, we have been bought with a price. We belong to God. 
We belong to him. He created us first and foremost. And then secondly, if you've trusted him as your savior, he has bought you again when he saved your soul, when he shed his blood on Calvary's cross and redeemed you to himself. So we are twofold the child of God. We are twofold uh, the possession of God. Uh, and we have been entrusted with the gospel, First Thessalonians teaches us. So the reality is, is that as we sit here this morning, we are a child of God. We've been twice bought and we have been entrusted with his affairs. We have been having his most valuable resource and most valuable possession in the gospel entrusted to our care. And so a steward is one who then manages the affairs of his master's household. And we are to manage the affairs of God's house, God's house. And we refer to the church as God's house. And I don't have a problem with that. And some people don't like it. But uh, but the reality is we all come together and this belongs to God. But more properly, we are the temple. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. When we speak of God's house in this context, we're talking about our individual bodies where the Holy Spirit lives and dwells and uh, where he leads and guides. And so we are to be we are to be managing the affairs of that which is his, which is us. So I have to, it's, it's a fundamental shift in the way that I view my life. Uh, it is a dramatic change from what my perceptions are. When I stop and I realize that I'm not my own, that eliminates my right to go and do what I want to do, to go and live how I want to live, to go and uh, and to just make him secondary. In my life. Then we stated that a steward must be found faithful. The word faithful meaning to be worthy of the master's trust while being but while fully trusting the master. And so it's a twofold thing here. I must live worthy of his trust. He, he wants to put his trust and he wants to entrust his affairs to my care, the affairs of my life, which is his. He wants to entrust their management to me. But in order for him to do that successfully, I must fully trust him. I cannot be questioning my master. He'll tell me at times to do things that may not make sense to me. But if I'm walking by faith and not by sight and I trust him, I'll be able to be obedient to uh, those things that God puts in my path. Then we said that we had to be worthy. Uh, and we stated that in the definition of faithful, to be worthy of the master's trust. Worthy means to be becoming after a godly sort. In other words, I'm changing from what I was to who he wants me to be. I may uh, just be at the beginning stage of that journey. I may be somewhere in the middle. I may be uh, at a mature state of that journey. Uh, but wherever I am in that journey, I can be worthy of God's entrusting to me uh, the management of the affairs of this life. So I'm becoming after a godly sword or being brought forth as I bring forth others more effectively. Now, when we say that and we look back and I'm not going to really spend a lot of time on the lead in verses here this morning because it just gives a long list and we could define all those terms. The point here is that he is giving them a list of what in their culture and in their time uh, and truly in ours as well would be some of the most vile sin that he could come up with. So that his his message here talking to a carnal church is that I, I want you to see the 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 dramatic effect of this heinous crime against God, these awful sins, uh, and they're categorized that way. And then he reminds him, and such were some of you. So the emphasis here is, in principle is is that God is taking you from being the worst of the worst of society 
and he has transformed you into a child of God. He has taken you from being the most corrupt and the most vile, and he has transformed you into someone that he can trust to manage his affairs. Uh, and so that's the context here as we lead in. Now, having stated that, uh, I would say this, that I cannot be a true disciple and not be a faithful steward. When I stop and I realize the impact of what it means to be a true disciple of Christ, I cannot be a true disciple if I am not a faithful steward. Now, we, we get in stewardship, and a lot of times just the mere mention of the word uh, causes everyone to, that's, that's worried about the pastor's going to preach about money to shut down. I don't think that we're going to get anywhere near that at this point. Uh, I'll probably, I generally preach for about four weeks on stewardship and one of those weeks to the, to the, the teachings of giving. Uh, and so uh, this is not that Sunday. So but as we look here, uh, I think that none of that matters if our heart's not in the right place, if our outlook is not where God would have it to be if we're not surrendered to his will. And, and Dr. Paul Chappell, the pastor at Lancaster Baptist Church out in California, in his book entitled Stewarding Life, uh, identifies three ways that Christians tend to approach life. And, and this is, I think, is pretty accurate in his assessment here. And, and so these three ways are this. There are those who squander it. So we look at life and we, we determine that uh, that life is something that is time. And, and really, that's in a nutshell. We look at li life is time is life. Life is time. It's gone and you can never get it back. You can't relive it. We can't go back and undo mistakes. We can't take back words that have been spoken. Uh, we can't undo the errors that we've made. We can try to make things right. We can try to make restitution. But we can never go back and undo the harm that we've caused. And so uh, we have to understand that life is a very precious gift from God and it is something that is very powerful. So though there are those who squander it. What do we mean by that? Well, there's the obvious thing that we would all easily see and where we would say that one who squanders life uh, is someone who squanders God's resources by indiscriminately wasting them on purposeless living. In other words, someone who just gets up today and decides, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just, I'm just going to kind of go with the flow. I'm going to do whatever comes to mind. Uh, I'm not going to have an agenda. I don't really have any direction. Now, listen, I'm, I'm not I'm not criticizing this morning someone kind of having that kind of a day here and there or on vacation where you're just kind of relaxing and you're recharging your batteries. Now, that's not what I'm talking about this morning. What I'm talking about is our pattern of life, our everyday, week in, week out, year in, year out life. Someone that lives their life in a manner to where they just... Uh, it's just whichever way the wind blows, they are squandering their life. They are squandering the resources that God has allocated to them. They are wasting the Holy Spirit's occupancy of their heart. They are wasting their opportunity to share the gospel. They are wasting their opportunity to train their children to serve the Lord, to have a heart uh, for the things of God. And so uh, I think most of us could see that. We all probably know people that would fit into that mold. But I would take it a step farther. Uh, when, when you look at things biblically and when we understand the, the principles of stewardship, to say this, that some are directionless wasters, but others waste by using life for purposes other than it was designed to accomplish. So I could be someone who is very successful in the eyes of society. I could be someone who is very disciplined and driven. I can be someone that accomplishes much as far as the world's opinion is concerned. But if I have not done that which God has created me to do, then I have squandered 
everything that he has put in me. And so we have a tendency to gauge someone's measure of worth or success by their list of accomplishments, by a list of, of letters that representing degrees that they have after their name. We tend to look at people that have amassed a great amount of wealth as being successful. We, we look at people that have places and jobs that are uh, prestigious in the community as being successful. I'm just saying this morning that when we look at things in the context of Scripture, that we have to come to the conclusion that if someone is spending their life that way, that they could very well be squandering and wasting it. Now, listen. I'm talking about if we're not doing what God has called us to do. I, God has called, not called everyone to be a pastor. God has not called everyone to be uh, a, a Sunday school teacher, a deacon, a missionary. It is the will of God for some to be doctors. It is the will of God for some to be lawyers. It is the will of God for some to be public servants and other. We need the light in every arena of society, and if God doesn't place Christians there in those roles, where's the light going to come from? So I'm not preaching against someone that that aspires to those things. What I'm talking about this morning is that what God made you to do is that. Can you say this morning that my job is God's call on my life? That that which I am in pursuit of is what God has made me to do. If the answer to that question is, I don't know, then you need to find out. And if the answer to that question is yes, then the answer to that, the next question needs to be, how effective am I at fulfilling that which God has called me to do? Am I fulfilling, am I actively pursuing not my own agenda, but God's for my life? Uh, And so a true disciple A faithful steward is not someone who squanders their life. It's not someone that is either just frivolously living or and spending or someone who is just uh, maybe they're they're doing a noble job, but they're doing it to satisfy their own uh, desire. uh, Then that is also a life that is squandered. Then he says there are those who spend. Okay, so this is just uh, the way of uh, a way of kind of looking at this. And what I mean by that is, is that. Uh, and we use this term, how did you spend your day? Well, and we're all guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. Uh, I'm guilty of falling into the trap of actually living this way at times. But I don't want to spend my day. I want to invest it. I want to do what God's given me to do. And so am I viewing my life as a life that's just, okay, this is mine, so I can do with it what I want, and I can spend it where I want and how I want. Uh, my wife and I, we get we, every other week when we get paid, uh, we go to the store, we take out a little bit of cash. Um, I give her uh, more than I get, and then I get a little bit extra or, or a little bit to go along with that, and that's our spending money. In other words, she can go spend it on whatever she wants. Uh, it's not committed to bills. It's not committed to someone else. If she wants to go out to eat, if she wants to get a cup of coffee, if she wants to buy uh, some clothes, if she wants to, to, to take someone to do something, that's, there's no need for us to reconcile that together and say, hey, uh, can we afford to do this or do we have other obligations or no, this is yours. You can, you can go do whatever you want to do with it. Give it away if you want to. Just do whatever you want with it. Uh, that, that, but some people live their whole life that way with everything that they have. 
It's the view of, this is mine, I can do what I want with so I'm going to spend it. Or, do I realize that this is a gift from God, this is a resource from God, that God has given me to, and has entrusted it to me to use to accomplish what He's called me to do. To accomplish what is the purpose of my own life. And so, am I a spender? Am I spending God's resources without allowing them to be replenished? In other words, that goes a step farther where it says, you know what, I'm going to take, this is what I have I'm going to spend it, but I'm not going to do anything to replenish it. So the, the, the reality is here is that if we spend ourselves, even in the things of God, emotionally and physically, but never take time to refill, then we are squandering and we are, we are simply spending what God has given us. And so that's not healthy either. So it's not, it's not healthy for a Sunday school teacher, for the pastor, for an assistant pastor, for um, a deacon or a church member uh, to say, okay, God has given me this much and I'm spending it trying to help this person or trying to invest in this life, but I never step back and recharge and refill. Listen, you have to take time. Jesus even came apart a while into desert places to rest a while. Jesus pulled his men back and spent time in prayer. It is not healthy to just run perpetually in a wide open state. And I would say this, that we live in such a time that's so technology driven that I know that I find it difficult even when I've got a segment of time blocked to a task that is slower in nature, like reading, praying, studying. It has gotten more difficult to disengage my mind from all of the other things, that all the other traffic that's out there mentally and just get alone and, and, and block it out and focus on the Lord. I don't want to be a spender of that which God has entrusted to me. I want to be someone that is using it to further the kingdom. Someone that's using it uh, to express God to others. Someone that's using it uh, at, at the Lord's direction and not for my own purposes. So there are those who squander, then there are those who spend and never replenish, and they burn out and they, they fall by the wayside, or they're always upset that this didn't get done or that didn't get done, or they're, uh, they, they can't forgive someone that they think has wronged them or that, is, uh, that has failed, and they're, they're just frustrated in their Christian life. Then there are those who steward. The steward is the one who prayerfully and purposely invests his life, recognizing that life itself is a gift from God, and the purpose that I have is to use it for his glory and not my own. So when we look at this and we consider and we think of stewarding life, we're talking about taking our lives and using it intentionally to glorify God, which means that I have to realize that if I just burn out until I collapse, then, I, then I'm cutting short my service to God. And we approach the Christian life, and we approach most other areas of our life with a mindset that I'm just going to, you know, shop till I drop kind of mentality. I'm going to live till I drop, and then there's nothing left. And we live as if we are in a sprint rather than we're living in a marathon. And we go wide open as hard and as fast as we can all the time without ever taking time to replenish. A good steward will replenish. A good steward realizes that sometimes they have to slow down and they have to recharge. They have to spend time in prayer. They have to spend time engaged in, uh, in meaningful relationships. And so we want to be good stewards of that which God has given us. Fully committing one's life to becoming the disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is not easy. 
It requires commitment. It requires sacrifice. And the rewards of that sacrifice and commitment may not be evident for years to come. But it still needs to be paid in. And so when we understand that concept that this is, I, I am, listen, I realize where I was. And I recognize what Jesus has done in my life. And I recognize that I do not belong to myself. Then it begins to change the way that I view my, my life, my outlook on life. And that's what God wants to do. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our life. We're not living for self. We're living for him. We're not. Th these things that I have don't belong to me. They belong to him. Now, so, Pastor, how does one embrace and stay committed to the life of a disciple? How does one embrace and stay committed to a life of good stewardship? And so I, I find in our text here three primary things, and we're going to look at these this morning. First, I would say this, is that I must know whose I am. Notice what he says in verse number 19. What? Know ye, know ye. He says, know ye not. But what he's really saying here is know that you are God's. Know ye not that ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. In other words, know that you're God's. Know that you're the Lord's. And if I'm going to be faithful, if I'm going to be a good steward, if I'm going to be someone that is pleasing the Lord, then I must know who I belong to. That means that I have to know that I'm not my own. I have to know that I'm not hers. If you're a guest today, this is my wife on the second row up here. A lot of times it takes people a while to put us together because she's in the back a lot. Plus the fact that I'm six, four and she's three foot seven. Uh, no, not really. Uh, but she there's a, quite a height disparity. Uh, not to mention the fact that she's 15 years older than I am. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, and so I uh, said, so Pastor, you're getting in trouble. I live in trouble. So it's OK. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that takes sometimes people away. But I, I don't belong to her. Nor does he belong to me, my son. Nor does my uh, daughter in the, in the children's church this morning belong to me or my daughter in college or my uh, son and grandchildren that are in Canada right now at a missions conference. They, they don't belong to me. Uh, they're gods. And when I stop and I reflect and I realize who I belong to, I am not my own. How dare I live as if I am? And when I look at God and I ask God to lead me and guide me, do I go to him and say, God, uh, would you would you allow me to do this? What a lot of times when we pray that prayer, we're just asking him to let us do what we already want to do. It's like a lot of people when they get advice. They don't go get advice from someone that they know is going to share them the truth of the scripture, especially if they already know what the Bible says about it. And uh, and and they know that that person is just going to tell them what the Bible says. They go to someone that they think is going to agree with them because then their conscience is put at ease and they feel as if, OK, it's OK for me to do it now. So, you know, it's just like one of those things. If uh, if Miss Virginia comes in and says, Pastor, uh, is it is it OK? Uh, I'm just looking for some advice and some counsel here. Is it oh, Brother JP's really been acting up? Is it OK if I take the frying pan and bash him upside the head? Uh, well, I, you know, she's, she's not going to ask me that. She's going to ask my wife that. <laughs> because every wife from time to time wants to bash her husband upside the head with a frying pan. And truth be told, we all deserve it from time to time. But she's not going to go to the one that's going to give her truth in that circumstance. We're going to go to the one that tells us what we want to hear. 
See, if I am approaching life as someone who is just trying to spend what's mine, then that's what I'm looking for in advice. But if I'm someone that's trying to please the Lord, then I'm looking, my whole outlook's different. Lord, what would you have me to do? Where would you have me to go? What would you have me to invest? What would you have me uh, to say? What would you have me to sacrifice? What would you, and we go on all this process of things. Listen, but if I'm going to do that, I have to know whose I am. So the obvious thing here is it starts with, do I know that Jesus Christ is my Savior? See, salvation is not a, a list of works. As a matter of fact, the Bible makes it abundantly clear. In spite of what many religions teach, the Bible is very clear that salvation is a gift from God, that it's not of works of righteousness, which we have done, but it is according to his mercy that he saved us. For by grace ye is saved through faith, and it is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. None of us are going to be able to go to heaven and say, you know what? I was better than you, and I was better than that cat over there, so I got, to get, I got in. I was better than my neighbor, so I got in. I was better than this family member, so I got in. I was better than my boss, so I got No one's going to be able to go to heaven boasting that we got there because we were better than someone else. The only reason that we have the opportunity to go there is because God loved us so much that he looked down at our hopeless and helpless condition and said, I am going to pay the penalty. I'm going to serve justice and I'm going to pay the price of serving your sentence for the crimes that you've committed against holiness and against righteousness and against heaven. And I love you so much that I'm willing to pay your debt. Holiness could not dismiss the case. Holiness had to serve the sentence. So Jesus came and he took upon him the sins of us all. And he on the cross became our sin and suffered and paid the price. Do I know this morning, not that I've been good and not that I've turned over a new leaf and not that I've prayed a prayer or I'm a member or I've been baptized, but have I recognized that I have sinned against God, that I have sinned against holiness, and there's nothing that I could ever do in a lifetime that would make up the difference for that and realize that because of that, Jesus suffered and died to pay my debt. And because of that, I feel guilty and sorry for my sin. And I turn to him and ask him to forgive me and to change me to inhabit my heart, to be my Lord and Savior. And when that happens, the Bible says we're born again. And the spirit that died in the Garden of Eden when Eve and Adam sinned, that is laying dormant in us from our conception until our second birth, is then able to be resurrected by the power of the Spirit of God. And that's how we come to Christ, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. And that's when He makes alive in us, when we are born into the family of God. A son, a daughter, born into the family that can never be changed. That fact is always going to be true. Do you know this morning that Jesus Christ is your Savior? If you don't know that you are or that he is, if you don't know that you're his child, if there's any doubt in your mind about whether or not you'll go to heaven or hell in just a little while, we're going to have an opportunity for you to come and to ask someone to show you what the Bible says, not a church says, but what the word of God says about how you can know without any doubt that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and that you'll spend eternity in heaven with him. But it's not about how good you are. It's not about how good I am. It's not about how religious one is. 
It's about, is Jesus Christ my Savior? In other words, do I, have I given my heart to Him? Do I belong to Him? The second thing I would say about this truth, when he talk, we talk about what know ye that you're His, or know ye not that your body's not your own, but it's His temple, is do I understand that Jesus is not only my Savior, but my Sovereign? That He is King of kings and Lord of lords. That He is the one that has all authority over my life. And here's the reality of the answer to that question. My actions reveal my standing. What I do displays where I stand. Now, that's not so that we can sit back and say, well, this person knows that they're saved and this person doesn't and this person uh, is right with God and that person's not. Listen, everybody's personal salvation is between them and God and no one can answer that question for them except themselves. But I am saying this morning that when we truly realize that our condition is the need of a Savior and we accept Him as our Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit takes residence up in our heart, the natural thing then becomes for us to turn over our lives to him and allow him to be the king of our life. He is our sovereign. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. Every tongue will confess and every knee will bow before him. And if we do not do so before, we will one day. But my actions reveal my standing. My actions reveal whether I am committed to him partially or fully, whether I am serving my own will or his, whether I am pursuing his agenda or mine. My reality is, is that intellectually I could believe as a faithful church member that I am committed to Christ when nothing in my life outside of this building speaks to that fact. What that means is in most cases, I'm just a casual, if not carnal Christian. I love the Lord. I'm committed enough to attend services. I might even participate uh, in, a, in an event here and there along the way. Uh, I may serve in some small capacity, but my heart is not completely and fully surrendered and committed to the will of God for it. Uh, and until I reach that place, uh, I might be uh, an okay Christian by the world's standing, but I cannot say that I am truly a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. A true disciple knows who he belongs to. Secondly, I would say this, that I must know what I'm worth. I want you to notice verse number 20. For ye are bought with a price. You know what a lot of Christians struggle with? They struggle with just feeling like they're not worth a lot. I get, I get calls or text messages on a regular basis from, uh, from just different people at times uh, in the church that they're just really feeling low. They really feel like, uh, you know, I, I question whether or not uh, I have any value, whether I have anything left to give and offer the Lord, or I don't feel like I'm, uh, I'm, I'm worth God even helping me. I, I just feel like I've, uh, I've failed or I've made a mess out of this. May I say to you this morning that no matter what your condition, you have been bought with a price. And the price that was paid reveals the value of your worth to the one who paid the price. He paid top dollar for you. I mean, I, I mean, honestly, we could walk around the room this morning. If we were all cars, we're not all worth the same. But it didn't matter to him. He just paid the same. He paid for you like if you were a brand new, shiny, without a mark, scratch, or a mile on it vehicle. And he paid the asking full sticker price. And then some. Amen. 
because he viewed us all the same. May I say to you this morning that no matter how you feel, you're valuable to God. No matter how you feel, he paid a high price for you. And no matter how we feel in one moment, from one moment to the next, the reality is, is that when I understand uh, that I am worth the life of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, then that changes the way that I begin to view things. I may know and I do know that I am not worth the life of Jesus. But I know that I was worth the life of Jesus to him. I know he was willing to pay that price. I know that he wasn't deceived and he didn't get a bad deal in his estimation. It might look like a bad deal depending on whether or not I surrender my life to him. But he's done everything possible to express to me that I am even in my sin. And I would consider the list that he gave, a list of the most vile sins of mankind. And he said, and such were some of you. You used to be that. Now you're this. He saw us and he saw the value of us when we were on the wrong side of that equation. And that's what he talks about in Romans 5, 8, when he says, but God commendeth or demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us this morning. And I am worth the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that, but I am worth the presence of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's amazing enough that God said, hey, I look down at you in your vile condition and I love you so much that I'm going to send Jesus to pay the debt for you so that you can come to him. But he said, I love you even so much more that I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to have a ministry within you that he leads you to me, that he convicts you of your sin, that he convinces you of the truth of my word and that he helps you along the way every day of your life. And if you'll submit to him and surrender to him, he'll lead and he'll guide you. I'm giving him as the earnest of your salvation to be a permanent presence within your heart until you come before me. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. We belong to him. I must know this morning whose I am. I must know this morning what I'm worth. And the truth is that in the grand scheme of things, we're not worth much except to God. And to Him, we were worth everything. And we may at times be told that we're worthless. Some people were told that from their childhood. We may sometimes feel worthless. But we're always as valuable to God as His sacrifice of His Son for our sin. Thirdly, this morning, consider that I must embrace his will. I must embrace his will. For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Again, we're not our own. I must embrace his will. In other words, I must glorify God in body and in spirit. Two thoughts about this this morning as we might wrap up. First, I must embrace his, embracing his will makes him the center of my life. See, before Jesus, my life revolved around me and my priorities. After Jesus, my life could revolve around me and my priorities. But a life of a faithful steward, the life of a true disciple, will revolve around the life of Jesus and his priorities. A life of 
taking that which he's entrusted and using it as he's directed to bring back a prophet to him. Embracing his will will make him the center of my life. Can I truly say this morning when I step back and evaluate that Jesus Christ is the center of my thoughts, that he's the center of my values, that he's the center of my plans, that he's the center of my uh, my day-to-day life, my day-to-day walk through this life. Can I truly, honestly evaluate myself and open my heart to God and with confidence say, Jesus is the center of every part of me. Until he is, I'm not truly his disciple. Secondly, I would say this, that embracing his will makes him the center of my heart. And once Jesus becomes the center of my heart, making him the center of my life is just a natural outflow of that. See, I can force Jesus to be the center of my life with just discipline and determination. But to really become an effective disciple of Christ, I must let him become the center of my heart. For when he's the center of my heart, everything else falls into place. Colossians chapter 118 speaks to that when he says that he might in all things be preeminent. He's first. He's preeminent. Everything revolves around him. And the reality this morning is this. When I know whose I am and I appreciate the price that was paid for me, then I can joyfully embrace his will. If I don't understand and value the price that was paid for me, then I will resentfully embrace his will at best. I may do his will, but I'll resent him for it because I'm thinking, you know what? Uh, I've got to do this because it's my duty. I have to embrace this because it's my duty. I, I'm, I have forgotten the price that was paid. I have forgotten the sacrifice that was made. I've forgotten how valuable I am to him. When I know whose I am and I appreciate the price that was paid for me, then it makes it natural that I will joyfully embrace his will. When he comes before everything else, not just in word, but in practice. When I put other things before him, I squander my deeds before him. When I spend, I waste the substance and I shorten my ability to serve. But when I steward, I become a valuable asset to the kingdom of heaven. That's what God wants us to be. Listen, he's not, he, he didn't leave us here to just be a flash in the pan. He didn't put us here so that we could light the candle at both ends and burn out in a few years. He put us here to live an entire lifetime lifting high the Lord Jesus Christ and impacting the world around us. How do I do that, Pastor? Well, I have to be a good steward and I have to be a faithful disciple. How is that possible? Well, I have to remember who I belong to and I have to appreciate what I'm worth so that I can embrace his will for my life. It's no sacrifice for me to lay down my own will when I appreciate what he's trying to accomplish through me. When I value the sacrifice and the price he paid, and I remember that I'm not mine in the first place, I belong to him.